How can God forgive bad people? When we ask that question, the first thing that comes to mind is that straight away we are saying, aren't we, that the idea of forgiveness and the idea of justice are really, really important issues to us. Justice is an important issue. We can't live without the idea of a just world and a just God. The idea of that just is inconceivable. Uh, And at the same time, there are events in our world which when they occur, it seems as though people get away with terrible things and there is no accountability. And that, that makes us angry. We look at that and we think that that is profoundly wrong. Some of you will remember summer 2010, the tragedy of the wider connections of a guy called Raoul Moat. In a fit of jealousy, he shot his ex-partner, he shot and killed her new partner, and he shot and blinded a policeman. There was a couple of days where he was being uh, hunted for, and then eventually, as he is surrounded by the police, he takes his own life. And we look at that and we think, there is something profoundly wrong that somebody can, can do something so terrible, so awful, and then not be held to account as though they've had the power to do all of that terrible stuff. And then they have the power to end it according to their own decisions. And then on the flip side, in the, in the face of that horror... We also have the message of the Bible which says there is forgiveness for the worst of people. How do we hold those two things together? Because the idea of that forgiveness, if we we give it a word which we'll come back to, the idea of God granting that kind of grace is scandalous to us, it seems. You see, I think we live with a dilemma. And the dilemma is this. Justice for us is essential. And at the same time, forgiveness is needed. (laughs) And we need to hold on to those two things. How can we possibly reconcile those two things? Justice is essential and forgiveness is is needed. Really, as we work it through, as we carry on through that, I think coming to some understanding of that will shine a light on how we might understand the forgiveness and the grace of God. I'm going to pause and uh, just uh, see if there's anything that we might want to address. Why should I forgive bad people? Never mind God. That is a great question. Why should I? Well, on the one hand, I think there is part of us. There is part of us that looks at some things in this world and on a very, very human level, there are things that we cannot forgive. We cannot forgive them. 
But I think the, the, the issue behind that, and I think it will come to this, is who actually has the right to forgive? Who can forgive? So maybe as we ask that question, why should I forgive bad people? The question then is, who can actually forgive? We're going to move on, because I think that is a really helpful lead into the next stage of our journey in understanding this question. It's this. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, were, we, we showed the most recent uh, NatWest advert, where it, it, it raised kind of contrasts of humanity. And it said, this is what we are. And the contrasts were the very best of humanity and the very worst of humanity in kind of opposing senses. Uh, and it said that this is what we are. We live in that dilemma. And I think most of us, if we're really honest, we would acknowledge that, that the bits that we want to hide from everybody... The bits that we want to shut out, even from our own acknowledgement at times, tell us that we are also those who, even if we might not live out the very worst of attitudes, our inner thoughts and our inner sense can be at its very worst at times. So we ask the question, how is that kind of worst of humanity perpetuated? How does it keep going? Why is humanity, why have we got, not got to the point where we're able to resolve these problems? We all want it resolving, don't we? We all want a better world, don't we? And yet we see the worst. Jesus was really clear, and I think he gave an answer 2,000 years earlier for the question which the NatWest advert raises, and it's this. Jesus went on in Mark chapter 7 and verse 20, he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Jesus said something very profound there, and it's a great challenge to the world that we live in and the kind of, the sense that we are good people who are only made bad by the things that go on outside of us. Jesus said, I want you to stop and realize that the heart of the problem is not out there. The heart of the problem, he says, is in here. It is, it is us. There might be events. There might be events which spark. There might be wrongs out there which... which push in on us, but we have a profound problem as human beings. It's why we live with that kind of contrast that at times we seem to be 
the very best, and yet we revert again and again to the very worst. Jesus says that the problem is is our guilt inside. Some of us, some of us are really good at not letting everybody else see that. (laughs) We're really good at kind of creating a veneer which protects us from people realizing what we are actually like. (laughs) We perhaps have temperaments which are not necessarily likely to explode. And yet deep down, Jesus says, there is a problem with each one of us. It is the problem of the human condition. And yet, at the same time, the Bible says, the Bible makes it clear that we have the potential to be forgiven. I want to talk about that word grace that I mentioned a little bit earlier. What is grace? Because it is the greatest of words when we understand the implications of it. There's a great picture of it in uh, Les Miserables, which I've mentioned on a number of occasions. Jean Valjean has been in prison for stealing bread. He's freed, he's in a mess, he's taken in by a priest overnight, he's fed, he's cared for. In the middle of the night, he wakes up and he sees the potential for some sort of, you know, setting himself up into the future. He goes downstairs, he steals some silver, and he escapes. It's the basis of the whole of the story. He's caught, he's taken back to the priest's house. And the accusation is true. He is guilty. On the one hand, justice is that he would be found to be wrong and he would be taken back to prison. Mercy, mercy is that he would be found to be wrong and no charges would be pressed. That's mercy. Grace goes even further. And it's played out by the priest. The priest says, you only took that silver and you forgot the platters that I gave to you? (laughs) It's a great little picture. Grace says that we are given what we actually don't deserve. We are given what should never be ours. Grace goes beyond justice, which is right, we're guilty. It goes beyond mercy, which is that we are not to be charged and punished as we ought to be. It gives us what we don't deserve. It is grace. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says this. It makes it really clear. For it is by grace you have been saved, and that's through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. It's not what we do, it is the gift of God that we receive grace to be saved. So we come back to the question, don't we? 
We're, we're kind of approaching this from one side, then the other, and then the other, and the Bible's saying all this wonderful stuff, and we still ask the question, how? How can that be achieved? How can God do that? How can God show that kind of grace? Have we got anything? What if Raoul Moat asked for forgiveness when he met God face to face? I think that is a really helpful question. I think what we're going to see in a minute is that it's too late at that point. It's too late. And that is a really important, that is an essential issue. Meeting God face to face, seeking forgiveness at that moment, it is too late. The reality of God becomes true. We no longer need faith to believe in God. But the moment has passed where we might be forgiven. I, and I, I don't want to just make that as a statement. I want to show in a few minutes why I think that is true and why the Bible makes that pretty clear. Is that, are we on to... that it? Okay? The reason I say that is because forgiveness is not free. Forgiveness can never be free. I, I want to just explore in the issues of our heart who ultimately are we offending? Let's take ourselves right the way back in the journey of the Bible. First book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 9. And it speaks about the worst of crimes in human terms, the issue of murder. You might debate whether that's the worst of crimes. The taking of life. And God says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Now that, that just, that's just straightforward in one sense, isn't it? That's just kind of justice. You do that, that's the outcome. That's the penalty. There is a penalty for things that are done. Now, that, that just speaks to all of our sense of rightness. We said right at the beginning that we can't live without justice. But it goes on to say the reason why. <laughs> it says this, For in the image of God has God made man. Wow. God is saying, do you, know, do you understand that every single one of you, because you bear my image, there is a sense of value to you? Because you are made in the image of God, God says, your life is of value. Your dignity is of value. Who you are as a person is of value. The very sense of you is of value because you are made in the image of God. And then, at that moment, God says, and because of that, if you, if you strip that, if you take that from any, it is as though you offend me. 
It is as though you strip me. You're made in the image of God, and you strip that which is of value. David says it really clearly a little bit later, where he is so deeply conscious of his wrong, of his sin. He, he's, he's, he's a really powerful man, is David. He's the king over all of God's people. He has a sense of, of being responsible to uphold the law of God. And what does he do? He, he sees a woman that he falls into lust with, and he knows that she's married, he takes her because he's that powerful person. And as a result of her becoming pregnant, he manufactures the killing of her husband to protect himself. That's a catalogue of horrific wrongness, isn't it? In every sense. What is his response? Psalm 51. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. What is he saying? Is he saying that I haven't actually done anything wrong against Bathsheba? Of course he has. But what he's acknowledging is in the scheme of things, ultimately, the image bearer Bathsheba's husband, the image bearer Bathsheba, those two individuals who are image bearers of, the, of, the, of God in this world, they, they, they are dignified because of that, and David has stripped them of that, and he says, ultimately, my offense is against God. It's not that he's saying I've not done anything wrong to them. He's saying in comparison... The offense is huge. It is massive. I want to carry that right the way through to 2010 and come back to that issue of Raoul Moat. Living in this world, offending the very character, the very image of God, living as though this world is his world and not a world which is God's world, and saying, I will live according to my desires, not your desires. I will take what I want. I will not give recognition to what is yours. That's the issue. That's why he's living in a world which is at odds in his mind, in his approach, in his attitude. It is at odds to the world that God describes. And David is saying, <laughs> I acknowledge that. So who can forgive David in the light of that? If, if, if let, turn to the person to your right, turn to the person to your left, and just imagine if they just, out of the blue, just slotted you one, just whacked you. That might not be an unusual occurrence for some of you given the person you sat next to. But it, just they turn around and, and give you a good smack. And I step in and say, I forgive you. Well, hang on a second. 
who am I to forgive you for what you've done to them? The only person who can forgive you is the person who's now bleeding at the nose. (laughs) They're the only person who can forgive you, aren't they? I can't forgive you. And what David is saying is in the scheme of things, yes, I have offended those around me, but ultimately the one who I have offended is you, God. It's you that I have offended. And, And forgiveness can only come from you ultimately. Uh, and that's why, that's why I think in that first question in terms of forgiving, forgiving, how can I forgive bad people? I, I think there are moments where we, where we have to say in, in our humanity, I, I don't know how to deal with this. This is such a horrific offense, but I place that person in God's hands for forgiveness. Do you know what? Because I can't. It's too big. It's too big. I I think there's a different issue which we can explore maybe in conversation at some other point uh, about the desire of the individual who has offended you to be right before God and also to be right before you. That's a separate issue. But I think the issue is this, for all of us, when we realize the dramatic issue of our own hearts, we come to realize ultimately it is forgiveness by God that is essential. Now, for a start, it costs to forgive. If you forgive that person who sat next to you and lamped you on, It costs. What does it cost? It costs the emotional sense of a lack of justice. You carry that. You bear that. You you do not hold out for what is just. And you are carrying that for the rest of your relationship with them. So we ask the question, again, how does God achieve it? Yeah, we've got something coming through. What if God forgives and we don't? That that's kind of that's kind of what I've just been grappling with really. Let me put it like this. I think there are individuals in my life who are very, very dear to me. And if anything happened at the hands of somebody else to one of those individuals, I don't know that I have the capacity as a weak human being to truly forgive them. However, however, I acknowledge that there is also the potential for them to be forgiven by God and I will spend all of eternity joyfully in their presence. How about that? I don't know that I've got the ability to forgive horrendous things, but I also know 
what if God forgives and we don't? I also know that I have a deep-seated issue of pride, which means I also have a real problem with forgiveness when I should. You see the dilemma that forgiveness is, even for us. There are issues which I should forgive, and sometimes I find I can't. And there are issues that I can't forgive, and I can rest in peace that if God forgives them, I will joyfully spend eternity with them. What does it say? What does that dilemma say? I think it says that we as human beings are limited in our ability to contend with the issue of forgiveness. We are limited. Is God limited? Uh, is there anything more that you're going to throw at me? Oh, yeah? Yeah? What if I can't forgive myself? <laughs> wow. Now that really, really hits home. That is a great question. What if I can't forgive myself? We often live, don't we? We live constrained, I think. We live limited by the issues of the past that we are deeply conscious of. I, I would go so far to say that David for the rest of his life. In fact, he says it in the psalm. He says, my sin is ever before me. He says it is, it's there all the time. I wake up in the morning and it's just there. It's there, it's there, it's there. there are, we, we, we are shaped, we are limited, we are affected by the things that we have done wrong for the rest of our lives in some cases. And some of us reach a recognition that there is a part of me that can never forgive myself for certain things. That, that might not be a bad thing. It might not be a bad thing that I can never forgive myself. The issue is this. Has God forgiven me? That's the, that's the core issue, isn't it? Yes, I might be I might walk wounded for the rest of my life for the things that I have done. And at the, at the same time, have a deeper level of profound joy because I know that God's forgiven me. And I would encourage you to some extent, if you are asking that question and deep down you are living with that, that angst of the past, I... I would encourage you to be, if you know that God has forgiven you, I would encourage you to be thankful for that awareness to some extent. Because it is God-given that you are so deeply conscious of the reality of your heart. That's, don't waste it. Don't waste it. And at the same time, move to a place of I think Tim Keller puts it like this, self-forgetfulness. <laughs> I think it's a great description. If, if that is an issue to somebody and a deep issue, grab me at the end quietly, drop me a text afterwards, whatever you want to do. I've got a great book, The Joy of Self-Forgetfulness by Tim Keller. 
really helpful. Am I going anywhere? No, no, got it? No, I'm done. Great. Hope that's helpful. We ask the question, how can God forgive in that way? How does it cost God? How can God be satisfied? How can, it, how can he be happy and resolved? How is God not going to spend eternity grieved? <laughs> if you forget absolutely everything, this little section here is potentially the most important issue in the whole of the Bible. And it is the issue of Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Why did he come? This is absolutely critical. It answers how God can hold all of those issues together. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 says this. He himself, who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. That is breathtaking as a verse. It says Jesus is the way in which God resolves those issues himself. God, just imagine turning around and saying to God, don't worry about justice. Forget about justice. That, that part of you is not important. It can't be done. God is no longer God if he, if he just wipes away the issue of justice. He says, anybody who sheds blood, their blood will be shed. There's guilt. There's penalty to be paid. And then he says, and none of you can pay it. So I will. I will pay it. That's what he says. Jesus is the key. Jesus is the most essential element of the message of the Bible and the issue of God as described in the Bible. Jesus is the one who says, I will be obedient to my Father because I know that us together, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we will resolve the issue of justice and forgiveness. And I will be obedient. I will come to this world. I will be killed. And it will be my Father who crushes me because He will demand the penalty and it was by that penalty paid that we can be forgiven. Let me just make this really clear. As far as the Bible is concerned, you can have no relationship with God, as great as you think God is, without Jesus. Back to Raoul Moat. You come face to face with God. Forgiveness, please. What did you do with my son? What did you think of Jesus? I didn't really consider him. I had nothing to do with him, to be honest. But he is the very way, it says here, by his wounds you have been healed. It is Jesus. 
If, if you've done nothing with him, you might think I'm great, but you can't come into my heaven because he is the way. So when Jesus goes on like, uh, in, in his life, John chapter 14, John makes this really clear by recounting some of the words of Jesus. He says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me make it really clear. That sounds arrogant, doesn't it? That is not arrogant. It is not arrogant. It is functionally necessary. It is essential. You can't come to the Father except through me because it is me that is going to pay for you to come to the Father. That's, That's what he's saying. You can't do it according to the God of the Bible. Which is why we started the series saying you really need to understand what you make of the idea of God. Jesus is the way for the guilty to be forgiven. Now if we realize, as he says earlier in Mark, the issue of our human heart, we come to this, and I think this is the concluding, concluding comment I would make. Maybe you need to take this away and think about it. The issue is not how God can forgive bad people. The issue is how can God forgive anybody? How can he forgive anybody? Because every one of us have offended him. Every one of us have slain somebody made in the image of God, even if it's only in our minds, our attitudes. Every one of us have stripped the right for God to rule in this world and decided we will rule instead. Every one of us have done that, and so we ask the question, the issue isn't the worst of people, the issue is anybody. And the answer, it seems to me, made clear in the Bible, the answer is Jesus. Yeah, last couple of questions. What if we keep being bad? What if I can't stay good? (laughs) I can say that really personally. I'll I'll just personalize that. What, God, I am a mess. I just keep being bad. I just keep being what I know I will never have any right to. To be, to be considered one of your children. That's what my heart is like. What's the answer? What is the answer? The answer is quite simply, if you think, Paul Howell, <laughs> if you think that, that you are so bad that the sacrifice of my son isn't good enough, you have no idea yet of how great the work of Jesus is. You've got, you've not even scratched the surface. If you really think that you are so bad that the sacrifice of my son can't resolve that issue, then we've, we've got a long journey to go on. In fact, there is a danger, Paul, that you've got such pride in your heart that you think you are just so, so important in the scheme of these things. And the issue is... I am way more important. If I say you are forgiven through my son, then that is is it. Now, 
There's a difference between knowing that that's what the Bible says and being able to live it every day. So what do I have to do? I just have to keep reminding myself that I live, I have found faith, I have a hope of eternity because of grace. It's as though I've arrived at the... the, 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 the prosecutor has taken me to the gates of heaven. I've been found guilty of all of those terrible things which I've acknowledged. I, I keep on doing them. And God says, you've got eternity. I've given it you. It's yours. Not because you deserve it, but because I am a great God. That's what I've given you. I need to keep telling myself that lots and lots and lots of times to cope with this issue. In fact, I'll probably need to say that until I die. In fact, I would even go so far as to say the more I realize what I'm really like, the more I keep needing to tell myself because it becomes clearer what I'm really like. But then in a strange way, that makes Jesus even more amazing. It makes me value him more because I know more of what I am like, okay? What if the people are not around to forgive that have been hurt? Should I then forgive for them? What if the people are not around to forgive that have been hurt? Should I then forgive for them? I, if I read the question right, it's, what if somebody has been wronged who is no longer here? And, and how do I deal with that person that I know has done wrong? I think, I think it depends on what the issue is to some extent, how big the issue is. But I think at heart... We're called in every situation to be counter-retribution. We're called to bring peace. We're called to be examples of forgiveness. And yet, paradoxically, we're also called to be examples of justice. We're called to be all of those things. If we're talking about some terrible thing, that somebody has seemingly got away with, then it might be that what we really, all of us, need is to be brought to our senses before God. I don't know. That's really complex. Without knowing the details of every individual situation, what I would encourage you is this. If your heart is right before God in the first place, I think the Holy Spirit grants us wisdom to know how to, how to do our best in all of those messes of life. I, I think that's where we would be. Okay. I hope that's been helpful. I'm going to pray. And, uh, and then if there's anybody who wants to grab hold of me at the end, by all means, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great message of Jesus, who without his presence 
without his death on the cross, the whole of the message of the Bible would completely fall apart, it would be meaningless, and we would have no hope. But we thank you that because of him we do have hope, and we thank you that through him we can be forgiven. We recognize there are terribly bad things in this world, but we also know that our own hearts are terribly bad. And so we pray that we might know your peace because we are right with you, because we are one of your children in Jesus' name. Amen.